Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Sports Insights Podcast. I'm David Solar, as always, joined by Dan McGuire. Before we jump into everything, I want to remind everyone to follow us on all of our social media platforms. We're at Sports Insights on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And also, if you haven't already, go ahead and give us a review on iTunes. It'd mean a lot to us if you're listening every week. You know, five stars is preferred, but we'll take what we can get. Uh, so we got a lot going on this week. We could jump right into it, starting with the NFL draft. We had the first round last night. A lot of big moves, some of it impacting the futures market. But want to jump right in. Cleveland Browns taking Miles Garrett first overall. Not a huge surprise, but there was some late action and some late buzz about Mitch Trubisky, uh, who actually moved from plus 700 to plus 250 to be the top pick yesterday. Uh, but Browns still come through, take Garrett. I'm curious, Dan, what, what are your thoughts on this pick and overall what the Browns did in this draft? Yeah, well, first of all, I was a little surprised to see the odds on Garrett coming down. Um, like you mentioned, they came down from you know minus 700 um, yesterday morning. By the, by the start of the draft, they moved back up to minus 700. Um, there's a report, I think, by uh, Mary Kay Cabot on Twitter that the Browns would select Garrett. So they kind of ruined the surprise there a little bit. Um, market went back up to minus 700. You know, personally, I don't love the pick. I know a lot of people think Garrett's kind of a home run there at one. You, you had to pick him, you know, best talent in the draft. I guess I'm just not completely sold on him. Um, you know, I think it was probably the smart move for them to take the best player overall, but... Yeah, I just, I just personally aren't as high on Garrett, so I think I probably would have gone QB or maybe draft or uh, traded down and drafted a QB, but um, you know, obviously they chose otherwise. <laughs> oh, so this will be an interesting podcast because I think we're going to be having some disagreements here because as an overarching statement, I don't really like the crop of quarterbacks in this class and generally feel like you know we had several trades. We'll get into that in a little bit more detail, but that a lot of teams really overpaid in order to take that quarterback. Uh, now, I get it. I mean, obviously the most important position on the field, and I certainly understand that. But for me, the Browns are still several years away from competing. So, you know, they're in a game where they just have to add assets. And I think they have something like 24 draft picks over the next two years. Uh, so they're loading up. This year, you know, I don't love the quarterback talent, but next year you've got a ton of talent. you got the kid from USC coming in potentially who looks like a slam dunk. Uh so I think they made the right move, taking the best player available and waiting a year. Uh, but it was interesting to see that fluctuation throughout the day as Trubisky started getting a little bit more buzz for number one. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. I do like the quarterbacks this year, all three of them are, that were drafted in the first round, but I think it's a good point for next year. I think Sam Darnold's, you know, unless he gets hurt or has a horrible year at USC or something, I mean, he'll probably be the top pick, and you know, some of these bad teams can probably wait till next year. So, um, yeah, I, I might be wrong on this, but I think they probably made the smarter choice. All right, let's just move down the list. Right at number two, we had a pretty big shocker uh, where it looks like the Niners just hosed the Bears, adding a third-round pick and a fourth-round pick this year, another third-round pick next year just to move down one slot and uh, allow the Bears to take Mitch Trubisky. I'm pretty certain the 49ers had no intention of taking a quarterback this year, so the fact that they were able to leverage that much out of the Bears especially after the Bears doled out that huge contract to Glennon, uh, is pretty perplexing to me. Yeah, and even if you like the pick of Trubisky, it didn't really make much sense for them to move up one spot and give up so much to San Fran when, you know, I don't think many teams are going to be trading up with San Fran. So uh, GM John Lynch did a great job in his first year. I think uh, San Fran had a great first round overall, and obviously they're in a good shape for the rest of the draft and next year as well. So, 
Yeah, it, I, I agree that Lynch did a great job on this trade. And it's interesting to see that you have the Niners GM and the Browns GM both coming from such different backgrounds. You've got, uh, you know, the diehard you know, statistical analyst versus the former player. And for me, both of them got excellent value on their trades yesterday. Yeah, I completely agree there. Following pick, Niners go ahead and get their guy Solomon Thomas. I'm fairly sure that's who they would have picked it to anyways. Great talent, versatile D-end. Uh, he was plus 450 to go number three overall, so it was a decent payout for anybody that took that. Uh, but I think he'll be a good fit for that defense. Yeah, I think for betters, I think the, the Bears trading up to two kind of made it a little more interesting, a little more fun, because a lot of these underdog prop bets are able to cash because you know each team was a little off on where they were originally supposed to pick. So, um, like you said, plus 450 on Thomas to go number three overall when they would have drafted him at number two anyways is, is great for them. Going down to the next pick, the Jaguars take Leonard Fournette at four. It was fairly expected. His over-under was four and a half, and the under was fairly juiced up. And it was pretty clear that the Browns, Bears, or Niners had no intentions of taking Fournette. So I think this is sort of the situation that a lot of people had, were eyeing from the jump. Yeah, he seemed to be locked in there. Um, you know, I think a lot of people might disagree on whether Fournette was actually the best running back in the draft, and a lot of people were higher on McCaffrey and... Dave, I know you like Dalvin Cook. He might not even be drafted today, which is kind of crazy. But uh, yeah, I think Fournette at four is a little high, but that's kind of where the market expected him to go, so it made sense. Yeah, I mean, I like the idea of waiting on running backs just as a general philosophy. We've seen teams have a ton of success with late round and undrafted running backs or running back by committee. So, you know, I think it's sort of an antiquated notion to have this sort of workhorse running back, especially when he's not much as in terms of a pass catcher. Uh, and if you have to take this, your you know, number four overall pick off the field every third down, uh, it's a little disconcerting to me, uh, but I, I certainly understand. I mean, if you've watched the Fournette highlights, there's no questioning his physical abilities. Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of guys have injuries too, but he's coming off a you know, major injury a couple of years ago too, so uh, I'd be a little more skeptical on Fournette. Well, we'll see how his career progresses, but uh, there's a lot of interest in this number five pick, because I know, I mean, this hits uh, on a number of levels for you. But the Titans picking five, uh, they have that pick after making that trade with the Rams last year. And they went a little bit off the board. They take Corey Davis, the wide receiver from Western Michigan, uh, whose over-under was 18.5. But Dan, I know when the prop opened on first wide receiver to be selected, you were all over Davis, even though Mike Williams was sort of getting more of the hype. Yeah, I uh, oddly watched a lot of Maxson this year, so I watched a lot of Corey Davis at Western Michigan, and I was definitely sold on him. I liked him a little better than Mike Williams. Um, I think a couple months ago when he first mentioned it, he was around plus 450, plus 475 to be the first wide receiver selected. Um, a lot of people thought Williams was going to be a lock there to go first, uh, at least first wide receiver, that is. But, yeah, as a Titans fan, I'm, I'm thrilled that they drafted him at five. I know they were thinking about him at uh, number 18, but they didn't want to wait. They thought they had the best wide receiver. A lot of people cashed if they took that um, prop bet. Actually, Davis was plus 600 right before the draft to be the first wide receiver selected. Oh, wow. So, you know, the odds had moved up until the draft, but then, you know, draft day, I think the odds makers just basically got it wrong, thinking that Williams would be drafted ahead of him. So, yeah, I love the pick here. <laughs> and it looks like odds makers might have had, to an extent, the wrong guy on the rise, because I know John Ross, uh, the wide receiver from Washington, who ended up going higher than anticipated. Uh, he opened it like 12 to 1 to be the first wide receiver pick. And I think those odds plummeted all the way down to 2 to 1 or 3 to 1. Uh, 
so certainly his his 40 time contributed to that. Mike Williams was essentially the favorite to be the first wide receiver taken from wire to wire. Uh, so certainly Davis going in this spot. A little bit of a surprise, but I think it's a good pick. And it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, probably around, you know, sometime early next week, I'd imagine the first sports book will start opening their rookie of the year odds. I'll be curious to see where Davis slots in. Yeah, and I don't even care what the odds are, to be honest. I'm going to be betting them no matter what. I think it'll probably be maybe like plus you know, 600, 700, something like that. But yeah, I'd probably be taking them for sure. Yeah, I think it's a safe assumption uh, that Leonard Fournette will open as the favorite, uh, which we saw last year with Zeke Elliott. I mean, you know, running backs just had that instant opportunity. Uh, you know, and you take a guy in the top five like that, obviously he's just going to carry the workload for them right off the bat. Right, yeah. Number six, the New York Jets. They don't get their quarterback. I think that's actually a good move for them. They take Jamal Adams, safety from LSU. Probably, to me, maybe the second or third most talented player on the board. Uh, So to get him down at six, uh, it's kind of reminiscent of a few years ago when they got Leonard Williams, who slipped to six. It's a nice value at six. I don't think the team's going anywhere this year. you know, but this is a guy's over-under was three and a half, so certainly people were anticipating that he'd either go uh, second or third. Um, and it looks like a little bit of a steal for the Jets at six. Yeah, I know Adams right before the draft was uh, listed at plus 550 to go number six overall, so a little bit of a surprise. Um, yeah, I agree. I think it's the right pick. Uh, definitely one of the best players on the board there and just needs some help on, on defense. So uh, I think the consensus around... You know, around the football community, you could say, um, is pretty high on Adams, so I, I like that pick. We get down to seven, and there's a little bit of a surprise here as well. Chargers taking Mike Williams, the wide receiver from Clemson. We talked about him earlier. He was expected to be the first wide receiver taken. Uh, his over-under was 10.5, so the under does hit on that. Uh, Chargers have a history of taking tall receivers. Uh, several several draftees that they've taken that have been you know 6'4", 6'5". Mike Williams certainly fits that mold, um, and you know they'll—they look like they'll have a pretty formidable wide receiving core next year. They'll have Keenan Allen coming back from injury, Tyrell Williams, Dontrell Inman, uh, Hunter Henry, their tight end last year showed a little bit of promise, and Gates still there, at the end of his career. Uh, but they should have some weapons for Phil Rivers. Yeah, and I mean I was higher on Davis as a wide receiver, but that doesn't mean I don't like Williams. I think he's going to be good in the NFL and you know, a decent situation with the the LA Chargers now, so I think that's a good pick as well. Moving down to the number eight pick, we've got a guy who saw his stock rise tremendously over the draft process. Uh, I think when his over-under first opened, it was in the low 20s, closed at eight and a half, uh, and that's Christian McCaffrey running back out of Stanford, and he certainly helped himself at the combine. Uh, And I think his versatility is the big reason why teams were really interested in him. and that obviously you can use him out of the backfield, but this is a guy that can return kicks. You can use him as a receiver. You know, he had, does have that pass-catching ability. Uh, so it's an interesting fit for the Panthers at eight. Yeah, I like this pick. I'm interested to see what that offense does with Cam Newton there and see how they integrate McCaffrey. I think they can get him in a lot of different sort of positions and utilize him you know, a lot of different ways. So yeah, he's listed as a running back, but like you said, he can do almost everything. So uh, I think he's going to be a really big piece for them this year. Hopefully it could be a bounce back year for Carolina. Yeah, I, I kind of like that. I was looking at their futures the other day and saw the Panthers at around 30-1 to 1, uh, and thought that that was a, actually a decent buy-low opportunity, assuming everything's okay with Cam Newton and he's going to be healthy this year. Yeah, and, and Luke Keekley was hurt a little bit last year too, so getting him fully healthy back this year would be a, a big plus for them. 
moving down to the number nine pick, another one that was a little bit high, but I kind of don't mind it. Uh, the Bengals taking John Ross, the wide receiver from Washington. Uh, you know, they had a little bit with the Eifert out last year. And AJ Green suffered a few injuries. I think this gives their offense, you know, a new dynamic. You know, that that speed from Ross is a tremendous weapon. So putting him across the field from uh, from AJ Green, you know, should give Dalton another nice weapon. Yeah, it's another pick I, I don't mind too much. Um, you know, I think his stock really rose since the since the combine. It's one of the few guys I think moved up, you know, significantly um, because of that. So um, yeah, another nice pick. Third wide receiver gone already, and the over under was two and a half the the first round. So you know, nine picks in, you already cashed on over two and a half wide receivers taken. So that's always a nice feeling. Right. Number ten, we had a trade. You know. I stated this earlier, but a lot of overpays look like they happened last night. Kansas City Chiefs move up. They gave up their own first-round pick and third-round pick this year, along with their first-round pick next year, in order to move up to 10, where they picked Patrick Mahomes, which is surprising to me for a few reasons. Uh, Mahomes' stock was certainly on the rise. His over-under on draft position had moved up to 24.5. but still, I mean, he goes way under where people were projecting him to go. Uh, and there's no questioning his arm talent. Uh, and you know, I, I think I've already heard a few people that like to that have you know, tried to compare him to Brett Favre because he does have that type of unbelievable arm. He can make every throw on the run. But he's coming out of that Texas Tech offense, which is not really conducive to success in the pros. Uh, so it's a nice situation for him. He gets to sit behind Alex Smith for a few years. But I'm not sure I fully understand the pick. Uh, to me, this is more Jay Cutler than Brett Favre. And it seems like a big overpay for a team that didn't have an immediate need at quarterback. Yeah, I agree. I, I have a tough time buying or selling this one. I'm kind of indifferent at this point. I, I've been high on Deshaun Watson as a quarterback, so I thought he would be you know, the first or second QB drafted. And you know, it goes to show two two QBs are drafted ahead of Watson, um, you know, including Mahomes at 10. So, yeah, at this point, I'm not really too sure what to make of it. I might be kind of smart of KC. You know, they have Alex Smith, um, and Mahomes can kind of work behind him, and it takes some time to develop. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not in love with the pick, especially for what they gave up to get him. Yeah, I mean, it's a nice, it's a nice position for Mahomes to be in, where he doesn't yeah. have to start immediately because, I mean, he's a project quarterback. Uh like I said, the the arm strength is there. There's no questioning the talent. Uh, but he made a lot of poor decisions, and you're going to have to really work with this kid, uh, you know, if he's going to be a, a future pro. But you know, if you think that he's the guy, you know, I understand the logic behind you know doing what you need to get them. But there's been so few of these four first round quarterbacks that have actually panned out over the past few years um, that have really turned into franchise quarterbacks, and you've had so many misses. Just looking back over some of these past quarterbacks, uh, you know, last year Jared Goff with the number one overall pick looked like a huge disappointment. Uh, Carson Wentz certainly showed some signs with the number two overall pick, but you know it took a pretty, pretty large trade package in order to bring him into the fold. Certainly, the year before, Jameis Winston and Mariota both considered wins for their teams and upgraded substantially. But I mean, Blake Bortles, Johnny Manziel, EJ Manuel. Geno Smith, you know, just looking at some of these top quarterbacks, Andrew Luck was obviously a hit, but Robert Griffin, you know, after that first first season has been a huge disappointment. The same could be said about Ryan Tannehill, Brandon Whedon. You know, for every Cam Newton, there's a Jake Locker, Blaine Gabbert, Christian Ponder, and most of these guys are, you know, top 15 picks, 
You know, Tim Tebow was a first-round pick not that long ago. I mean, it, you keep going back, and certainly you've got guys like Matthew Stafford at the top of the draft, but, I mean, Mark Sanchez, Josh Freeman, there's been so many misses in these first-round quarterbacks that, you know, to really give up the farm for these players, especially for teams that aren't ready to compete right now, I don't fully understand the logic. Yeah, well, I think the Chiefs are kind of close. I thought it would have made sense for them to draft maybe like a wide receiver since they've had so much trouble there, especially since, you know, a few went right before them, so maybe they're thinking they weren't going to get one of the top receivers and settle for the quarterback, but... Yeah, I think they gave up a little too much, and I'm, I'm not quite sure what to make of that pick. No, that's fair, and the Chiefs are ready. I guess I'm more thinking about other teams that traded yeah. up, specifically the Bears at the top of the draft that are you know, so many yeah, players away behind. from competing, Yeah, which is why I sort of like what Cleveland did. All right, let's move past Kansas City. Uh, number 11, the Saints. They took Marshawn Lattimore out of Ohio State. His over-under was 5.5, and, and he looks like a steal at 11. I mean, I think this is the best cornerback in the draft, uh, and there's no question that the Saints needed help in their secondary, uh, and they've been struggling tremendously. Certainly, you know, I know they were trying to work out a deal for New England's Malcolm Butler. It doesn't look like they're going to land Butler, but getting the top cornerback is a nice start. Yeah, I have no complaints here. I think this pick made perfect sense, you know, especially not, now that they're not going to get Butler. So they have a... Finally, a stud cornerback that they hope uh, will help that defense has been really bad lately. So, yeah, I think that's a home run pick for them. This is the last pick we're going to discuss in uh, in great detail, but it was probably the most interesting trade of the night for a lot of people. Uh, with the Houston Texans trading up uh, from number 25 and also attaching their 2018 first-round pick to move up to number 12, where they selected Deshaun Watson. And it's a huge price to pay you know, those two first-round picks in order to move up to 12. But I don't mind this trade, honestly, for both sides. Uh, I mean, the Texans are ready to compete for a Super Bowl right now, and we saw that with this trade with their futures moving from 28-1 to to 22-1 to uh, at Bookmaker. I mean, I don't think they had any plans of going into the season with Tom Savage as their quarterback. But this is risky now in that, you know, they won't have their first or second-round pick next year uh, as they gave up that first-round pick. For Watson, they gave up their second-round pick in order to unload their previous uh, mistaken quarterback with Osweiler. It makes Houston interesting, certainly. Uh, and we saw last year in Dallas that you can win with a rookie quarterback. But this could blow up in their face. I mean, giving up a, an unprotected first-round pick like this, there's no guarantees that Houston, you know, even with J.J. Watt returning, uh, makes that jump to the elite status that, that people are anticipating. Yeah, I agree. It's it's really risky, especially if you're not high on these quarterbacks. Um, I'm all on, I'm all over Deshaun Watson though. I love him. I think he'll succeed in Houston. I think that team, kind of like the Chiefs, you know, they just needed, you know, maybe another player or two to really make a next step in the playoffs. So, um, I really like that move. His you know his draft position was 12 and a half, and he got drafted at 12, so we went, you know, right under where we were supposed to go. Um, but yeah, I think this move makes a lot of sense, especially in the AFC South where it's completely winnable again. So. Um, yeah, I really like the Watson pick. No, I, I and I happen to think that Watson probably is the best quarterback in this draft, and it makes sense for a team that is seemingly so close to competing to make this type of move. It just it seems like a huge premium to pay. But again, I think this is a lot more understandable than the Chiefs trading up to ten to take a project. Yeah. So in terms of other picks that I like, we're not going to do this in great detail. Uh, I already mentioned that I, I really liked uh, Lattimore to the Saints, and I love what the new GM's doing in Indy, taking Malik Hooker at 15. 
uh, I thought Ryan Grigson ran that organization into the ground uh, with some of his picks. And, I mean, their secondary was atrocious last year, so getting a guy like Hooker, who was over-under with 7, all the way down at 15, seems like a really nice value. Uh, I also like both the Alabama guys that slipped. Uh, Jonathan Allen went to Washington. His over-under was 4.5. Seems like a great value at 17. Uh, similarly, O.J. Howard, whose over-under was 9.5. He slips all the way to Tampa Bay at 19. And now Jameis Winston, you know, not only does he have Mike Evans, but they signed Deshaun Jackson in free agency. They add Howard in the draft. Uh, I, that offense might be a, you know, pretty close to putting up some big numbers. Yeah, I agree. I think you know the defensive players from Ohio State and any player from Alabama, really, I think your, uh, your stock in the NFL is going to be pretty good. So you know, the teams like the Colts and the Redskins who use their picks to take those guys, um, I think those are really good picks. And again, in terms of just teams that I like what they did, I like the Browns waiting on Garrett, and I thought they got excellent value for trading down out of that number 12 pick. I'm not sure I love what they did with that pick, because they went ahead and took Jabril Peppers. There's some questions around him after, was it a diluted urine sample at the Combine? So uh, certainly PED questions there. There's some uncertainty about which position he'll play it looks like they'll try and use him as a safety at first. Maybe use him in the return game a little bit. Seems a little bit high. Uh, he was plus 120 to go in the first round. I think there's some other players that I would have liked to see them take there. But in terms of the actual trade value that they acquired, I think it's a win. Yeah, I agree. I think on paper they made probably the right decisions. I'm just, I guess I'm just not sold on the players exactly. So um, I'm a little lower on those draft picks. Right, so Dan, who? What are some of the picks that you liked in the first round, other than uh, other than Corey Davis? Yeah, for the Titans? I'm a little biased with <laughs> the Titans and Corey Davis. I love that pick though. Um, really like the Jets picking up Adams from LSU at safety. Um, you know, I agree with your Hooker pick with the Colts. Um, I really like the Saints getting Lattimore as well. They they really needed help uh, in quarterback. So, you know, I, I don't see a lot of bad picks, especially in the middle of the round. It's it's really the top. You know two or three or four picks I'm not really totally sold on. I think a couple of those guys might be busts, but you know, from 5 to 20, I think uh, there's a lot of good picks in there. And I, I will just sort of caution people that we're talking about the draft, and it's obviously fun to recap these props, and we did see the Texans' futures move, but for the most part, any futures that you see move is almost purely based on public perception. Uh, I mean, there really aren't many rookies that are capable of improving a, a team's uh, Super Bowl chances to the extent that I think the casual fan believes. So you might have an opportunity. In fact, the teams that supposedly lose the draft, uh, you know, it might be an interesting buy-low opportunity. And I'd sort of caution you from wagering on teams that you know had a great draft because these players are in all likelihood years away from legitimately contributing. Yeah, that's a great point. You're going to have, you know, four or five months to, to bet these futures um, before the season starts. So be patient. You can wait. You'll almost always get a better price uh, based on public perception. So just be patient on those futures. I know there are a bunch of other uh, props aside from some of these player props that we discussed. Uh, how did those get graded out in the first round? All right. So um, three and a half quarterbacks taken in the first round was actually the most popular pick at William Hill. Uh, so that was a big loss for them. They took a, a big wager on under three and a half quarterbacks taken in the first round at minus 210 odds and it was actually looking good on the over you know three quarterbacks were taken uh, by the 12th pick but Watson ended up being the last pick in the first round for quarterbacks so under three and a half cash and uh, William Hill wasn't too happy but I'm, I'm sure they'll be uh, taking best today so I wouldn't wouldn't feel too bad for them today. <laughs> 
Yeah, and I know that uh, Bet Online is really happy that Trubisky did not go one because the amount of public money they took on him, they would have they would have taken quite a hurting uh, if Trubisky had actually gone one. So yeah, they, they certainly escaped on that one. Yeah, they did make out though on under two and a half running backs selected in the first round, which was. Um, Listed at plus two seventy five, so betters were actually taking the over two and a half running backs in the first round, you know, at a very high price at you know minus you know six hundred minus seven hundred. Um, but yeah, only two running backs were actually selected in the first round after McCaffrey went eighth. So you had Fournette at four, McCaffrey at eight, and then there were no more running backs in the first round. So Bet Online was probably freaking out a little bit after that eighth pick, but you know twenty two picks later, there's still only two running backs in the first round. So uh, that was a big one for Bet Online. Yeah, certainly Delvin Cook's dealing with some injury concerns. I know that's uh, why teams are a little bit more skeptical about taking him. Uh, his over-under right now is 39.5, so they are expecting him to go you know, high to mid-second round. Some team will take the chance on him because the talent is there. But the, the long-term longevity, uh, that is a bit of a question. Uh, it will be also interesting to see who goes first between Cook and Joe Mixon, uh, who I'm, I'm hoping the teams are are going to have to do the right thing and pass on this kid. But his over-under is 41.5 right now, and the under is fairly is pretty highly juiced up. Um, and yesterday he was minus 160 to be drafted in the second round. Uh, so we'll see who, where, we'll see where he goes. Yeah, teams that pick right before that, you know, Bears, Rams, Chargers, Jets. Um, you know, those teams have a lot of needs, so they could do anything and pick him. It's, hopefully not, but you never really know. Also want to say that uh, earlier this week, on Wednesday actually, uh, the Westgate posted lines for every NFL game between weeks 1 and 16. Uh, they never really post week 17 lines just because injuries and rested players make it pretty impossible to accurately handicap those games. But you can sort of do the math on your own. They're all divisional games, so if you just want to count home field advantage for 2.5 or 3 points, uh, you can pretty easily flip those lines. Uh, definitely recommend you visit our blog and check that out. Patriots favored in every game this season, whereas the Browns are a dog in all but one game. Uh, and they're a pick 'em at home against the Jets. Yeah, if everyone's curious, the odds of any team going 16 and 0 this year at five dimes listed at plus 1250. So you know a lot of betters that are placing that bet are putting a lot of stock into the Patriots going 16 and 0, uh, favored in every game, like Dave said. Um, the odds of any team going 0 and 16 in the regular season this year at five dimes listed at plus 1500. So there's actually a better chance of a team going 16-0 than 0-16, which I thought was kind of interesting seeing how you know bad Cleveland's supposed to be. Yeah, they still have not addressed any of their quarterback <laughs> needs, but I think they were slightly better than their 1-15 record would indicate. It's tough not to be better than a 1-15 record. Now that we've got that settled, we got a lot of great NBA action on the docket, and aside from the fact that clearly NBA schedule maker screwed the pooch. We've got games Friday and Sunday with nothing on Saturday. Uh, we do have a few interesting games tonight. Jump right into it. To me, the most interesting game is Celtics-Bulls. Celtics looking to close things out. Uh, Celtics open minus 900 before the series, and uh, they were down to plus 210 before Rondo got injured, and they were trailing 2-0. to zero. They're now all the way back up to minus 900, so they're right back where they started. Uh, but I was a little surprised because you know, it was pretty much expected that Rondo wouldn't play, and the Celtics still opened as one-point dogs at Pinnacle. You know, but despite those three straight wins and double-digit average in those games, they've really been dominating. They've looked like the better team, and 
it looks like some of the players on the Bulls are starting to check out, uh, especially Dwayne Wade, if you've seen him on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, it's surprising to see the Rondo's impact on the Bulls at this point because, you know, midseason you wouldn't have thought that his loss would really mean anything. But, um, you know, clearly his loss is huge. You know, the Celtics have covered and won all three games that he's missed. Um, like Dave said, he was he was questionable for tonight, but he was really closer to doubtful. And I don't really know why the market opened the Bulls minus one. Um, you know, this is a case where I think the public betters were actually smart to take Boston early on, you know, knowing that Rondo wasn't going to play or thinking he wasn't going to play. And, you know, you could get a much better line than you can now, which Celtics are you know, minus two and a half at Pinnacle uh, at the time of the podcast. So, Yeah, and we saw Sharp Money take the Celtics pretty quickly once that plus one is available. Uh, and I talked to Scott Cooley over at Bookmaker. He said they took Sharp Money on Celtics as a pick at minus one, at minus one and a half, at minus two. Uh, so, you know, this is one of those rare situations. You've got 82% of tickets, 91% of dollars wagered on the Celtics. So, you know, Celtics are super public tonight. But you've also seen sharp betters taking that number as well. And the line, I believe it was uh, it's either game three or game four, the line closed minus two and a half. Uh, Celtics closed minus two and a half at Chicago. So it's not surprising that we eventually got back to that same point. Uh, and assuming betters keep pounding the Celtics, and, you know, I think people keep seeing that this is how important Rondo apparently is to the Bulls. Maybe it hits three, but I don't think it's getting any higher than that. Yeah, and sometimes you'll get the public betters, you know, taking the desperate team that, you know, is in a must-win game. You know, the Bulls are down 3-2. They have to win this game at home. But, um, you know, clearly the betters are on the other side of this one and, and like the Celtics. So, yeah, minus two and a half, minus three, I'm not sure if that's a great price. Um, you might see some reverse line movement by tonight, maybe moving back to minus two. But... Yeah, right now the public's just all over the Celtics. And the series is kind of frustrating, too, because there was a lot of sharp money on the Bulls, um, you know, around the market. You know, they won the first two games, they're looking good, and then Rondo goes down and kind of changes everything. So, you know, it would have been like would have been nice to see a healthy Rondo and see if Boston could have actually come back from 0-2 down against him, but you know, obviously it didn't happen. No, uh, and even if he had come back, I have to imagine, you know, with a broken thumb and torn ligament, uh, I mean, certainly he'd be able to help facilitate their offense, but if the Celtics were smart, they'd foul him every time down the court, yeah. considering he already can't really shoot the ball, and you know the injury is to his shooting hand. Now, for what it's worth, uh, road teams are off to a 25 and 15 ATS start in the playoffs, and the Celtics have historically, at least under Brad Stevens, been a significantly better team on the road than they have at home. Uh, just something to consider. Uh, also, the, just the general performance of the under in these late series games where the defense really starts to ramp up. Uh, dating back to 2005, the under's gone 85-59 and 59, uh, in games 6 and 7 of the NBA playoffs. And so, you know, you've got the public on the over in all three games tonight. You might have a little bit of contrarian value in these sort of uh, tight defensive games. Looking past the playoffs and looking at the awards races, Five Dimes does have odds up for all four of the major awards races. Uh, Russell Westbrook is minus 600 to win the MVP. Dario Saric is minus 165 to win Rookie of the Year. Eric Gordon is minus 275 to win Sixth Man. And Mike D'Antoni is minus 535 to win Coach of the Year. So you got two Houston, uh, two people from Houston expected to win major awards. James Harden is not one of them. But the odds that kind of interest me right now are Rookie of the Year. Uh, because quite frankly, I just don't think that Dario Sark is deserving of Rookie of the Year. And I think you could make a compelling case for either Joel Embiid or Malcolm Brockton, who are you know both available at plus 250 or better at five times right now. Um, 
I guess the argument with Embiid would be that even though he only played 31 games and no one has ever won Rookie of the Year playing less than 50, if you just aggregate his numbers as a total, and, you know, if he averaged, you know, close to 20 and 10 in 31 games, well, is that really any better than Sark averaging, you know, 10 and 5 over 60 games? Uh, I just think that, you know, Embiid was so dominant in those 31 games that it almost doesn't matter. He still had more impact in those 31 games than Sark had over, you know, an entire season's worth of games. Uh, I'm just always also dubious about giving it to players who put up great numbers on bad teams because we've seen it all the time, uh, whether it was Tyreek Evans averaging 20 points, 5 rebounds, and 5 assists on that terrible Kings team, only to never do anything close to it again. Or Michael Carter-Williams, who was, what, 17-7-7 and as a rookie, one rookie of the year, and now struggles to find time uh, you know, for the Bulls, who desperately need a point guard. Yeah, I think all the voting's already set for this, so the playoffs you know, don't can't impact the voting or anything, but my pick would be Brogdon. Yeah. Um, I agree with you there. You know, Milwaukee, uh, I think Jabari Parker got hurt, you know, really early in the season. Um, a lot of people kind of counted the Bucks out, and he was their point guard, you know, towards the end of the season and, you know, got them into the playoffs, which I think is a lot bigger than, like you said, Asarich or, you know, Embiid playing for a crap team and putting up good numbers. I mean, Brogdon could have done that in the Sixers as well, so. Yeah, Sarich's numbers aren't that much better than Brogdon's, uh, and Brogdon did, you know, more efficiently for a team that's actually winning, uh, which to me is the much more impressive achievement. Now, we'll see if voters actually vote that way, but you know I, I think you can get them around plus two thirty, plus two fifty, somewhere in there. Uh, yeah, I think you can make an argument for Embiid, but I think that people will immediately write him off. I think Brogdon is the value at plus two fifty. Yeah, I'd probably take a shot on that, even though voting's already in. Uh, the plus money, I think that might be a value bet. All right, let's shift gears for a second. Move from the NBA playoffs over to the NHL playoffs. I uh, got two games on the, on the slate tonight. We haven't really uh, talked a ton about hockey, but Dan, I'm curious what you're seeing in terms of uh, you know trends for these series and even tonight game tonight's games. Yeah, so similar to the NBA, the road teams have gone up to a, a great start. Um, you know, this year in the playoffs, road teams are 26 and 20, but that's good for plus 12 and a half units so far. Um, they've done really good in this uh, second round as well. Um, you know, you had the Oilers, you had the Predators, and you had the Penguins all winning road games in Game 1, which, you know, completely shifts the series odds. Um, but, you know, like we've mentioned, we're, we're really high on Nashville. We were really high on Nashville um, before the playoffs started, you know, along with Boston and Minnesota, who were out. But uh, Nashville was really uh, an undervalued pick here. You know, they swept Chicago in the first round, already took Game 1 in St. Louis, and they're now big minus 260 favorites to get through the Blues um, in advance of the conference finals. Um, so Nashville's in really good shape. Like I said, Pittsburgh's in really good shape as well. Um, I'm a little surprised by this because they won last night. Um, they're getting over 75% of the tickets to win that series against the Capitals. So I actually thought this might have been a good spot for Washington to advance, um, you know, kind of fading the public betters um, on that series price. But, you know, if you were late on that, you could obviously take the Capitals now at plus money to win the series. Yeah, and going to what you were saying about the Preds, I mean, it's fascinating that as good as they've looked throughout the playoffs, tonight they're getting 34% of money line tickets uh, as small road dogs. So, you know, if you're looking for a little bit of value tonight, this is a red-hot team that is somehow still offering contrarian value. They're plus 105 at Pinnacle. You can get a better number if you shop across the marketplace. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. I'm really surprised by that, too, because Nashville played so well in the first game, and they were you know, up by a couple goals in the third period before you know almost blowing the lead. So, no, I actually thought this these betting percentages would be flipped with the public on Nashville, but 
um, I'm actually excited to see that the public's on St. Louis tonight and might be thinking about the Preds taking a 2-0 series lead. Uh, and the other interesting thing uh, to monitor is that because these games have been so competitive, we've actually seen a fantastic record for, uh, for puck line underdogs uh, that have been fantastic throughout the playoffs. Mm-hmm. However, because you're paying such a premium for these, it actually hasn't been that profitable. Um, but it's a storyline to monitor just because these games have been so close, but it's fascinating to see that in terms of units one, it's actually fairly low considering how competitive these games have been across yeah, the board. That's a good point. In these close games, too, you know, I think there were 18 overtimes in the first round, which was an NHL record for one round. So, you know, if you're thinking about taking, you know, these teams to go into overtime, you can get usually, you know, plus 400, plus 500 odds for each game. So um, that might be a, a strategy worth considering as well. Instead of just taking a puck line dog, you can take a t- uh, game to go to overtime and get better odds on it. Lastly, just want to touch on baseball just because we're in the full swing of season. Uh, it often gets forgotten with the playoffs going on and that initial momentum you know, from that opening day, sort of a, a long-lost memory. But we've got a new article up on the blog detailing how to bet interleague play. And you know, the big thing, the big takeaway is that the American League has dominated the National League. They continue to dominate, and they continue to be largely bet by public bettors. Um, you know, we've seen a majority of public bettors taking the AL across the board, and we've seen them dominating in AL ballparks and NL ballparks, uh, which I think might be surprising to some. But the real takeaway is that AL teams have been fantastic on the run line. Uh, overall, I think AL teams have a 4.2% ROI on the money line and a 5.5% ROI on the run line uh, during interleague play. So certainly something to monitor. Um, the other, the other thing to monitor is that for years, people talked about the value of betting unders in interleague play, but we're seeing that that, vol- that value is essentially gone. Uh, basically, from 2015, from 2005 to 2014, you know, we saw those unders hitting at just over a 52% rate during interleague play, uh, but over the past two plus seasons, that you know that rate is down to I think 47, 47.5%. Uh, so again. We never recommend blindly betting interleague games. We never blindly recommend taking unders. But just be careful because some of these edges are starting to dissipate. Looking over towards the MLB award favorites, uh, the Westgate Superbook pretty much updates these every two weeks uh, with a new list. And you know, we've got three odds-on favorites right now. And it's, it's pretty clear who the early front runners are. And it's hardly surprising because they're essentially the four of the best-known players in baseball. Mike Trout, now minus 140 to win the MVP. Bryce Harper's at plus 100 to win the NL MVP. Chris Sale, not getting much run support, but he's minus 110 to win the AL Cy Young. And Clayton Kershaw's minus 125 to win the NL Cy Young. Again, I'm really waiting for them to do, for these players to emerge to the point where they're willing to do them against the field. I love taking the field in those opportunities, especially this early in the season when so much can change. I wouldn't recommend acting on any of these, but you can certainly see the latest odds if you go ahead and check out our blog. Uh, we'll be updating this uh, every few weeks. Yeah, I think uh, out of those four, I think I would go again. I would go with the field against Trout for AL MVP if I was going to bet one of those. Um, I, th- I like really like Bryce Harper in the NL. He's having a crazy good year already. And Chris Sale and Clinkers are obviously unhittable, so I don't think I'd bet against them, but. Um, the Angels are just so bad again that I, I'm not sure if Trout is, is a lock for MVP. The, to be a minus 140 at this point, I think is a little high, so I'd, 
probably lean towards the field. But I, I'm hoping you're right. Yeah. Uh, specifically, before the season, I took Francisco Lindor at sixty to one to win MVP. Fairly long odds. Uh, he's down to five to one right now, uh, off to a pretty solid start. So I'm definitely hoping that Trout starts to flounder. Some pun intended. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. As always, want to remind you to check us out on all social media platforms. It's just at Sports Insights on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can also follow my personal Twitter at the David Solar. We also want to remind you one more time that if you're listening to us on iTunes, give us the old five-star review. You know, if you have any questions for us, certainly let us know on Twitter or email us directly at help at sportsinsights.com. We want to help everyone make smarter bets, but we want to know what you guys think. We want to hear your feedback. Uh, We want to make sure that we're answering all of your sports betting questions. Thanks again for listening, and have a great day.